Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Overwhelmed. In today's lesson, lead pastor David Fossil lays out some principles for living when we're overwhelmed by stress. Listen as Pastor Dave looks at some causes of stress, things like change, conflict, and overload, and then he gives us some solutions for handling stress in our lives. You guys sing that song better than some worship songs. Kid you not. Grab the study guide that's in your program. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. If you're sitting on one of the blue chairs or grab the Bible in the back, I think we're on page 725 or thereabouts. Luke chapter 10. We are continuing our summer series through the Gospel of Luke. It's going to take us through the rest of August. Uh, entitled Overwhelmed. If you haven't been with us, we've talked about being overwhelmed with work and being overwhelmed with problems, being overwhelmed with temptation, being overwhelmed with people. We talked about that last week. This morning we're going to talk about a topic that every single one of us experiences. Well, some of us experience it this morning and are experiencing it right now. What do we do when we are overwhelmed with stress? Stress is one of those emotions, those things in our life that doesn't just happen when you become an adult. Now, even young people have stress. Everybody seems at some point in time to experience stress in their life. We're going to look at a very famous story about two sisters, an older sister by the name of Martha and a a younger sister by the name of Mary, and a stressful situation between them in which Jesus was present. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I want to encourage you to follow along in your Bibles, or you can also follow along on the screen. It says this, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations and the food that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and you're so upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed, only one thing was needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It was more than likely mid-afternoon. Jesus had finished one of his talks in one of the villages. Uh, One of the disciples, Andrew, probably had gone off the subway, got some sandwiches, brought it back for the guys. They had had a lunch, but they were now on their way, this passage says, to Jerusalem. Jesus was going to go do ministry in Jerusalem And he realized because of the time that he was going to be able to go off to a small suburb of Jerusalem, a village by the name of Bethany, about two miles outside of the capital city. This was common for him to go to Bethany because it was in Bethany that his very good, his best friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus lived. Three siblings. You know, the disciples, the guys that we refer to as the apostles, were the ones that he was coaching, the ones he was mentoring, the ones that were going to take over his ministry. But make, make no doubt about it, his best friends were Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. In the Bible, we read in the Gospel of John that when Lazarus died, Jesus cried, Jesus wept, because his buddy, his friend Lazarus, has died. Uh, this time, though, you know, they, 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 he loved going to their house. 
He, he loved going to their house because he would go there and, and it, was, it was a quiet neighborhood, but he was close enough to the big city to go do things if he needed to. He loved going to their house. They had a ping pong table in the garage. They played ping pong. He, they, he loved going to their house because unlike other homes, they had a private guest room for him where he could really get good rest at night and sleep. He loved going to their home maybe because there was this recliner in the living room. He loved to rock back and forth. Sometimes Jesus would even take a nap in that. When he would go there, they would normally have a quiet dinner and then they'd play cards till all hours of the night. But this time was different. It wasn't just Jesus and a couple of the disciples. No, this time was different. This time it was Jesus, the 12, and more than likely, Bible scholars tell us, because of the time in his ministry, his entourage. You say, what do you mean his entourage? Well, at that time, he had the 12 that he was coaching and mentoring to take over the ministry, and then he had the entourage. He had all the people that were also his students, followers, disciples, people who believed in Jesus and were following him and learning from him. The Bible scholars and students believe that there were a minimum of 40 up to 100 in this entourage. The implication in this story is that Jesus pops in unannounced. He, he doesn't shoot her a text that he, they're, they're on the way. He, she, he doesn't send her an email. No, he just pops in. And, and you could just imagine, you know, Mary's just sitting. She's having a cup of tea. She's still in her sweats. She hasn't had a shower. And all of a sudden, the doorbell rings. She goes to the front door. And oh my goodness, it's Jesus, the disciples, and all these people. But because she's hospitable, she gives them a hug and welcomes them in. And as they all start piling into their into the living room, she starts to think, oh my goodness, it's only two, three hours away from dinner time, and I'm going to probably have to feed them. You know, Now she's not living in a day when she's got a couple meatloaves in the freezer. She can't order ten pizzas you know, from round table. There's not a Costco that she can go to. This is going to be a lot of work. So after she straightens up, she, she heads over to the butcher and she buys a couple roasts. Then she heads about half a mile this way. There's a farmer and she buys some fresh vegetables. Then she goes to the bakery. She buys a, a bunch of loaves of bread and some desserts to serve. She heads back to the home and she starts to cook. I mean, you think about Thanksgiving, but multiply that by 10. Because she didn't have any time to prepare. You also have to realize about this meal is that it was probably done in stages. You say, what do you mean? Well, she doesn't have, you know, paper plates and, and plastic utensils. She probably has, you know, what most of us have in our kitchen cupboards, you know, between eight and ten or so plates. And so she probably, when she was done with the meal, served the eight, eight first people and, 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 and let them eat. And then she washed the dishes and served the next eight to ten people and washed the dishes. And then she served the next eight to ten people and washed the dishes. I mean, this ordeal went on for five to six to seven hours. Her feeding this massive crowd that had shown up to her home because she was unprepared and it was taking so much time there was a time in the middle of the afternoon when it was dinner time people's stomachs were grumbling and she knew this so she took in some chips and salsa to the boys she put it down on the on the on the coffee table and it was at that point in time that these feelings of frustration boiled over you see she knew her her sister mary and she, Martha, being the eldest of the three, the one that had inherited the home, the one that had the responsibility of welcoming people in, it was her responsibility to make sure Jesus and everybody got fed. But Mary should have helped out. She had asked Mary to put out the, the, the tables from the shed to grab the plastic tables and put them around so people could sit. She hadn't even done that. And so when, when Martha brings in the chips and salsa and puts it down on the kitchen table, she gave Martha the look. You know what I'm talking about. And then she went back to the kitchen. And she just couldn't, she just couldn't contain herself. She, she stood in the kitchen you know, at, at the angle because of the door and the wall where Jesus couldn't see her, but, but her sister Mary could. 
So finally she just goes in and she loses it. And she lets Mary and Jesus, she scolds Jesus, have it. Why? Because she is stressed beyond belief. She's got things going on, trying to prepare this massive meal. That she, and she loves Jesus, but she, she's all doing it all by herself. What do you do when you are stressed? How do we handle ourselves when we are stressed? In your study guide, and we can put it on the screen, there's a definition for stress. If you go to a therapist, they're going to tell you it's something, basically a lack of equilibrium or balance that leads to tension. No one needs to really be explained what stress is. We all know what stress is. When we get stressed, we tell people that, you know, I want to throw in the towel. I'm at my wit's end. My life is falling apart. I'm at the end of my rope. I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot the deputy. We say something to let people know that we're losing it. We're stressed. What causes stress, though? You can jot these down if you want, or you can just look at them on the screen. There's a bunch of different reasons. One is overload. This is when you have too much on your to-do list. You don't have enough time to get done what you need to get done. You know how this is? Uh, And some of us experience that because of work or because of home or different situations. You may not know this, but I experience this kind of stress every single Sunday at the exact point in time during the service. See, if you know me, you, you know, and have been at Bay Hills for a little while, you know that typically I have about 50 minutes of information that I have to squeeze into 30 to 35 minutes. Right? I'm on overload. I'm trying to get as much in as I possibly can. Now, you don't all see it because you're facing this way. But when there's about 10 minutes left in my time, in the back, our sound guy, Joe, he, he picks up these two suckers and he turns them on. I kid you not. And he does this. This means there's 10 minutes left. Now, when I see this in my mind, I'm like, oh, no. I've got 20 minutes of information i got to fit in in 10 minutes. So I start talking quicker. And then he comes back and he gives me the five-minute signal. And then eventually he starts waving me in to land. You know, we're done. We're done. And some of you have this in your life. You have stressful situations because there's things that you have to get done. You don't have enough time to get them done in. Overload. And some of you have overload in your life right now. Some of us are stressed because of change. Changing uh, school. Some of you uh, are going to a new school in the fall. And you're actually kind of excited about it, but because it's changed, you're also a little bit nervous, stressed about it. When you change jobs, that can be stressful. When you change where you live, that can be stressful. When you get a new boss at work, that can be stressful. Or making decisions about the change in and of itself are stressful. Think about that. Just decisions you have to make. and you can, Should I do this or should I do that? Or should I just scrap it all together and go back? And that can be stressful. Decisions about the change. Loss can be stressful. You lose a loved one, that's stressful. You lose a job, that's stressful. You lose money, that's stressful. Another loss for the 49ers, that can be stressful. It's just different things. Loss causes stress. Conflict causes stress. An argument with your spouse, problems with your boss, a blow up with the kids or mom and dad is stressful. Conflict is stressful. Daily frustrations are stressful. Now normally these are small things that add up. It's not normally a big thing. It's small things like you drop your phone and it breaks, you know you got to get a new screen. You know, it's traffic on I-80. It's going to the the supermarket. You want to just go in and real quick and do a quick run. And you're stressed because it's obvious. It says 12 items or less and they have at least 18 items. Why aren't this wrong? (laughs) And all these daily frustrations add up and it's stressful, right? Failure is stressful. You fail a class or a test. 
You fail in a relationship and you break up. You fail to get a job that you wanted. You fail to make a team that you desperately wanted to be on. Failure can be stressful. Now, the next one, guilt, is a little bit like it, but completely different. Guilt, and it's amazing how often I talk to folks that um, are still consumed with the mistake they made 15, 20 years ago. It's something you need to learn called forgiveness and grace, but some of us have failed to learn that, and every time it pops up, we're stressed because of something we did 15, 10 years ago. Difficult people can cause us stress. Isn't that true? Difficult people at work are stressful. Difficult people in our neighborhood are stressful. Difficult people at church are stressful. Difficult people at home that I can't get away from are stressful. In fact, I had a mom send me an email about stress she was experiencing at home. She said, "Um, we have been experiencing all kinds of trouble with our son. He has been creating a lot of tension and stress at home. However, we have begun a new discipline method that seems to be working quite well. And they showed me a picture of what they're doing. Everything like that seems to be working quite well. <laughs> okay. Other things that cause stress are worry. Right? Worry doesn't accomplish anything, but it's stressful. This is imaginary problems that we make up on our own in our minds. But that can cause stress. Confrontation causes stress. A couple years ago, Sandy, um, she got a traffic ticket in El Cerrito. You know, there's that that place when you get off the highway and and there's the Skechers store. And and she turned in to go to the Skechers store. Well, apparently you're not supposed to turn there. And she got a ticket, you know. Some of you are all on my driving, right? No, I have a clean record. My wife got the ticket, right? And she decided she was going to contest the ticket. Right, and uh, I remember the day she was going to go to traffic court and whatever. She had all her notes prepared, and but she was very stressed. You know why? Because there was going to be a little bit of a confrontation between her and the police officer, and someone like Sandy and her personality type don't like that kind of stuff. Right? By the way, wouldn't it be nice if just one Sunday, just one Sunday, Sandy could come up here and tell David stories? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> There's all kinds of reasons that we get stressed. All kinds of reasons. Now, I don't have it on the screen, but if you look on your study guide, one thing I want to make sure that you see is different biblical examples of stress. People in the Bible like uh, David, Jonah, the Apostle Paul, even Jesus experienced stress. Don't for one minute think that stress is sinful. In fact, it's normal. Now, how you handle stress can be sinful. What you do when your stress might be sinful. But experiencing it isn't in of itself a wrong thing. It's actually normal, right? And especially in the day and age we live in, in the part of the country and world we live in, it's, it's a fairly normal thing to do. Now, let me just say this before I give you some solutions. If you are experiencing any of these things, could I encourage you to not keep it to yourself? I mean, I'm not suggesting you just kind of blurt it out and put it on Facebook necessarily. But at the very least, after after service, just just head right over there to the prayer room and let someone pray with you. Because it makes a difference. Don't try and conquer life all on your own. Don't, Don't do the Lone Ranger for Jesus on your own. Every one of us has these situations in our lives. And some of them, they become so great that we need others to pray and help us. Please do that. 
There's nothing to feel funny about. Just head over there, let them take two, three minutes and pray for you. Now, on the back side, I'm going to give you three things and solutions for how do you handle stress. There are many ways. For example, exercise is a way to to try and help you with stress. It's not in this story, so I'm not going to have you write it down. But there are many ways. I'm going to give you the three things that are right here in this story. The first thing, jot this down, is I want to encourage you to eliminate destructive emotions. I could have said eliminate destructive behaviors because really if you're, if you're not careful, that emotion and that feeling and that attitude becomes a behavior. There are five different emotions that you see that Martha uh, uh, has in this story that are inappropriate. And here's the key. They actually compound the problem. They make the problem worse. It's not your fault that you have a situation that's causing you stress. But it is your fault if you choose to do this. Let's just walk through them. One is the emotion of self-pity. She goes to Jesus. She goes, don't you even care? Woe is me. Wine, wine, wine. I'm the only one that's got problems in this world. Wouldn't it have been interesting if Jesus had said to her, do I care? Yeah, I'm actually heading to, to Jerusalem to die on a cross for your sins. Yeah, I care. Now, he didn't. You know, he was pretty mature about how he handled it with Martha. But you got to be careful about this self-pity kind of an attitude. Let me just give you a little thing that you may or may not know. When you start doing a pity party, we don't really like want to hang out with you. We really don't. Okay, so, so, so you actually, you repel people by having that kind of an attitude. The other is fault finding. My sister left me. She's tattletaling on Mary. Can't you see this two girls growing up doing this? Can't you just see Martha as a little kid with Mary? Mom, mom, Mary's not cleaning the room. She put her tutu on, she's dancing again. <laughs> just, she was that kind of a kid. And some of us as people are like that. We, 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 we look at people and go, yeah, they really shouldn't be doing that. They should be, uh, they should be living their life different. Well, who are you to be the fault finder? Right? You've got to be very, very careful. Because if you're not careful, it leads to the next one, self-righteousness. The idea that Martha opened up her home, and I explained to you already why. She, as the eldest of the three, probably owned the home, had inherited it from mom and dad. She was the one that was responsible, not only for the home, but also to help Mary and Lazarus. She opened the home, Mary just just sat around doing nothing. You know, I'm the only one serving Jesus. I'm the only one trying to build the kingdom. Really. Really. You got to be careful because discipleship is not you trying to make other people like you. It's trying to help other people be like Jesus. And you have to understand that there are personality differences. And some of us moralize just personality differences. It has nothing to do with right or wrong. It has nothing to do with good or bad. It's just someone has a personality type. You have to understand that. Anger and bitterness... Jesus, Jesus' words, Martha, you are so upset. You know, your neck veins sticking out, you're sweating, you're all upset. Relax. See, the thing about anger and bitterness is that it hurts you more than it hurts the other person. Now, if you're the volcano type of an anger, you spew on everyone else, that certainly can affect other people. But some of us just, just mull it around inside and it just eats away at us. This is not helpful, it is destructive. And then the last one is nagging. She's just nagging. It, it's nagging Jesus. Can't you tell her to help me? You know, you wonder why Martha was single. Probably because she was a nag. Who wants to hang out with her? You know? And it's not just women that can be nags. Guys can be nags too. Don't nag people. 
Back off a little bit. Do you guys hear about this guy in Minnesota? Rollades robber, they called him. You know why they called him that? He held up eight convenience stores and gas stations. Late at night, one or two in the morning, he'd come in, he'd stick them up, he'd ask for the money. Just before he'd leave, he'd ask for a pack of Rolaids or antacids. Every single time. Eight times he does this. So he's known in the newspapers and by the police as the Rolaids robber. So eventually they arrest the guy and they ask him, what's with the Rolaids? You know, is that your, like your MO or something? Why'd you do that? His answer, because my chosen profession is causing me stress. You think. Some of you cannot choose the situation you're in. But you are choosing the emotion and the attitude. And it's compounding the problem. And what I am suggesting is at the very least you need to minimize this or eliminate it altogether. It's not helpful to you. To you. Second thing I want to encourage you to do, you see here, is to know yourself. To know yourself. It, what are your pressure points? What, what causes you stress? So you go to the, to the front part of the, of the study guide and you look at those eight things and you go, what causes me stress? See, what causes you stress is completely different than what causes me stress. Or you determine and identify who causes you stress. This is very important because if you're going to hang out with someone... Um, that causes you stress, you should know that in advance so you prepare yourself and you strengthen yourself. And you, it, every single one of us has people in our life we can't get away from that causes stress. You need to know this. Know yourself. Know your positive traits. Paul says in the book of Romans that we have to have a sober uh, a, a judgment and make a sober judgment about ourselves. Every single one of you has positive things to contribute Every single one of you. Not only to your families, but to your places of employment, to this church, to the kingdom. Every single one of us has good things. And, and it's not about you being prideful. It's just acknowledging, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of good at that. And, and I'm, I, I can handle that good. And I'm, you know, it's fine to do that. That's not being prideful. But the other part is, is have the courage to admit blind spots. This is the danger. is where you admit strengths, but you don't admit blind spots. And typically... What you need is you need someone that acts as a mirror to identify and look over your shoulder and show you what your blind spots are. Now, when I'm talking about knowing yourself, here's what I'm really wanting you to do is identify. Are you more like Mary in this story or are you more like Martha in this story? Now, this is not in your notes. Just follow me. It'll make sense. Let's put it on the screen. Here's what I want us to have you do. Let's walk this through this. Mary is more contemplative. Martha is more active right? Mary, you know, when something has to happen, she goes, well, let's just talk about this. Martha's like, no, let's not talk about it. Let's just do it. We'll talk about it when it's all done. When it comes to spiritual disciplines, Mary is much more interested in prayer and worship, you know, and and, and getting together and, and meditating. You know, Martha's much more interested in Bible study and teaching and filling out my notes, Right? Completely different in terms of how they handle. Mary is much more a type B personality. Martha is much more a type A personality. Okay? So start thinking about yourself. When it comes to how you handle time, Mary is like, yeah, whenever we get there is fine. Martha's like, I don't think so. If we're going to be somewhere, we're going to be there on time. In fact, some of you had arguments in your car on the way to church this morning between Martha and Mary's in your home because of this. 
So the Martha in your family was like, we're not going to get to church on time. You just can't hang out and have breakfast that long. It takes like eight minutes to check the kids in. This is not appropriate. You get to work on time. We go to movies on time. Why can't we be to church on time? And Mary's like, maybe we should just pray about this. You know, everyone, it's very interesting how different people completely have different perspectives on time. Everyone has, and it goes to this, you know, Mary's flying by the seat of her pants, Martha's by the book. Mary has a full heart, Martha has a full schedule. See, the Marys in the world, they're very kind, they're very gentle, they're very caring. They notice when people are hurt. Martha also notices when people are hurt, but they're more like, yeah, we need a mop over here, someone's bleeding on my floor, let's clean this up real quick. Right? It's completely different. Martha has this massive full schedule, this big to-do. In fact, the to-do list is so big, they know they're going to run out of energy, so they keep like a Red Bull or two in their purse because they're going to need it a little later on. That's Martha. Mary is a BB. Martha is a doobie. Not like you think doobie. Let me explain what I'm talking about here. Okay, this is like busy bee and such. Mary wants to just be with Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. Martha, on the other hand, is I want to do something for Jesus. Let's do something for Jesus. It's very interesting um, that uh, we had this worship night uh, last Wednesday. If you didn't make it, you should come. It was awesome. But it's very interesting as I'm standing in the back and welcome people in. I, I'm telling you, kid, I kid you not, about 70 to 80% of the crowd were Marys. 70, because they like to be with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. The Marthas that show up, they're like, uh, do we have sermon notes? Are we going to fill anything out here? What's going on here? What, what's happening? Because they're completely different in how they approach even God. Okay? Mary just enjoys the presence of God. Martha wants to serve God. Completely different. M- M- Martha can't sit, by the way. They can't sit. Okay, now you know, we're going to watch the movie. Let's sit. Oh, there's some dust over there. Let me dust that Okay, let's watch the movie. Oh my goodness, I forgot to put the milk on the grocery list. Okay, turn the TV on, I want, we'll watch the movie. There are fingerprints all over that screen. Let me clean. They can't sit. They just go, 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 go. Right? Mary is friendly. Martha is very bossy. Mary's like Mother Teresa. Martha's like Attila the Hun. Now the Marys here today are going... This is the best sermon ever. She is bossy. She can be very bossy. Right? But Martha gets things done. Right? Um, Mary's about relationships. Martha is about responsibilities. Mary's about worshiping Jesus. Martha's about working for Jesus. Before we came here to this location for, for service, if you were with us before, we were in a gym in, uh, in uh, El Sobrani. And after the third service, because we would have to have three services on Sunday morning to, fa- to, to fit everybody in, um, about 10 minutes after Joy or myself, we dismissed everyone. We would basically have to tear down all the chairs, tear down the stage, tear down the curtains. And it was fascinating to see what would happen. About 10 minutes after the end of the third service, all the Marthas would start working. They'd start stacking chairs and taking down. And go, go, let's Move! Move! Mary's, on the other hand, they'd be sitting going, that looks like a lot of work. Those chairs are heavy, you know? And they would watch 
the Martha's work. And Martha's would be carrying the, the chairs and they'd be rolling their eyes at all the Marys. I can't believe them. Completely different on how they live their life. Now, I want you to be honest. Okay, I'm trying to identify which one are you now. Guys, if you prefer, you know, Mo and Melvin or whatever, whatever. <laughs> Chill out. I'm just more like Mary, more like Martha. Okay, now. Just be honest, okay? Show of hands. How many of you are more like Mary? Be honest, be proud, okay? How many of you are more like Martha, okay? Now, for those of you who don't know, like, I don't know, you're like Mary. Trust me. Because <laughs> Martha knows what she is, right? She knows. Who am, what am I? Am I Mary or Martha? Martha. I'm Martha. That's right. I'm up here telling you how to live your life. Shut up and listen, Right? If I was Mary, I'd come down and give you a hug, and that's not going to happen. We're all different. We're all different in how we live our lives. Now, here's one I want to do to help make some observations. Be honest about who you are. Know yourself. What are your pressure points? What are your strengths? What are your blind spots? Because we all have them. Know yourself. And when you know which category you're more in, now you're going to start to, to see why and how you respond to stress. Mary gets stressed when she doesn't have time to talk to people. It's true. Martha gets stressed when we're not getting anything done around the house. When we get something done. It's completely different what, what's happening in their lives. A couple other observations. One of the things, okay, two sisters, Mary and Martha. Isn't it amazing if you have at least two kids how different they are? And how you can slot them into these categories. But here's what I want to point out to you. It's this. The church, uh, the Bible refers to us as a family. And just like normal families, sometimes we annoy each other. Do you know someone at church that annoys you? Or two or three people that annoy you? First service, there was one person pointing. Yeah, that person there annoys me. That person there. It's normal. Some of you are thinking, I'm not going to that small group again. Because there's this one person in that small group that drives me crazy. Go back anyway. You know why? It's called being a family. It's called you showing the maturity to be able to live with other people that are different than you. You may not even like them. They're part of your family. Okay? So, so that's one observation. The other observation is you have to learn to balance Martha and Mary. See, some of you are here going, yeah, that's just who I am. Just, you got to accept it. No. You got to work on it. You got to work on your weaknesses, your blind spots. So, for example, if you're more a Mary, you're very good at certain things. But, but, but if you take that to an extreme, if, if you are sitting without serving, you're selfish. That's what you are. If you're sitting at church and you never serve and never help out, it takes a lot of work to get this organization called Bay Hills moving. And I don't know of one ministry that couldn't use a couple more hands. Well, I signed up. No one called me. Sign up again. If you're at home and part of a family and you let mom do all the work, you're selfish. It's called being part of a family. Get off your blessed assurance and do something around the house. Okay, so you can't hang out in just Maryland. On the other hand, on the other hand, if you're Martha, if you're Martha and you're always serving but you're never sitting, you're foolish. You are. Because you are about ready to break down or break other people down because of how you live your life. You see, God created you and he created life with a, with, with, with a rhythm. 
And the rhythm is six days we work and one day, called the Sabbath, we worship and we sit and we rest. And a lot of Marthas don't know how to do that. It's the kind of, and our world doesn't know how to do that. We take our laptops on vacation so we can keep working. What is that? But we go to movies and we go out with our families and are controlled by our cell phone and people texting us and emailing us. Really? You're that important? How about leave it home and give your soul and your heart a break? You've got to learn to be like Mary, the Marthas in the world. So, so know yourself. The, the last thing I want to encourage you to do in, in observation from this text is you've got to learn how to prioritize. Because there's some priorities going on here. When, when Jesus says in verse 42, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but a few things are needed, or instead only one thing. The word thing translated in our, transla- in our Bibles is actually the Greek word for dish or a plate. So what Jesus is literally saying to Martha is, Martha, for crying out loud, you're concerned about all these dishes. You're concerned about the appetizers, you know, and you're going to do pigs in a blanket, and you're going to do this and that and the other. And and then you're concerned about the three-course meal, and you're concerned about the soup you want to serve. You're concerned about making the salad. You're concerned about the desserts. You're concerned about all these dishes. You know what? Just a couple dishes. In fact, you know what, Martha? Just one dish would have been fine. You could have put out some cold cuts and some, some, some bread, and that would have been all right. And what he's really saying to her is you've got to learn how to prioritize. You can't let the good crowd out the great or the best in your life. There's always a lot of good things to do, but is it the best thing to do? And that's what he's saying to Martha. And in this case, the best thing to do was to spend time with me. I'm about ready to go to the cross. Now, in other situations, it may be... By the way, he's not saying that serving isn't good. Because the whole story before it is the story of the Good Samaritan. And that whole story is about serving. This is not a story about you can't be like Martha. No. Martha's make the world go around. They get things done. But, but, but Mary are the ones that basically care. And keep us glued together. Everyone and they're both necessary. Last thing I want to encourage you to do. Eliminate destructive emotions. Know yourself. Embrace all of Jesus. Embrace all of Jesus. Matthew in chapter 11, verse 28 says this. Come to me if you're weary, burdened, and stressed. Are you? I mean, could you be honest with yourself to say, you know what? I'm stressed. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. There's, there, there's a story about this guy, Danny Simpson, 24-year-old guy who was broke, robbed a bank, stole $6,000, sent to prison for several years for, for robbing the bank. It was well, what they discovered, though, is that when they arrested him, they confiscated his weapon and later determined that the weapon that this guy used was a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic antique gun made by Ross Rifle Company from 1918. The gun itself was worth well over $100,000. So what this guy most needed, he actually had. And I know a lot of Christians like that. What you most need is Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And you're going other places to try and find it. He's right here. He's available to you and what you most need is Jesus in your life. I ask you, come to me, all of you who are weary, burdened, and stressed, and I'll give you rest. I'm not going to take your problem away. I'm not going to take that difficult person away. 
I'm not going to take that situation away, but I will give you peace that passes all understanding. How do I do that? I'm in. How do I do that? He says, here's what you got to do. Take my yoke. We don't understand this terminology because my guess is that there's very few farmers here this morning. But a farmer would understand this. Take my yoke, learn from me, and then you'll find rest for your soul. Well, what does this mean? Let me help you understand, and let me show you a picture of a yoke. Let's put it on the screen. The yoke is that piece of wood connecting the two, oxen. What they would do in those days is they would have have an experienced oxen with, with basically a rookie oxen. Now, the farmer was behind them, but it was almost like the experienced oxen would, would coach the, 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 the newbie. And what Jesus is basically saying is this. Okay, check it out. here. We got this thing called life. And I'm one of the oxen. And what I want you to do, if, if you really want to get rid of stress, if you want peace in your life, I want you to get into the other side of the, of the, of the yoke. See, the yoke is basically said, anywhere Jesus goes, that's where I'm going to go. Anything Jesus does, that's what I'm going to do. Anything Jesus says, that's what I'm going to listen to. If he goes this direction in life, that's the direction I'm going in life. In other words, Jesus needs to be with you every step of the way. Take my yoke. Do what I ask you to do. And watch how that stress in your life is minimized and you have peace that you desperately want. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. What does it mean to embrace all of Jesus? Let me give you five quick things and we'll wrap up. Let's put it on the screen. Embrace him as your friend. Enjoy him. If you're doing fun stuff in life, and I hope you, you are, um, invite Jesus to those times. You say, well, what do I do? Am I supposed to like stop and have a Bible study? No. Just as you're enjoying life, you just, right underneath your breath, just thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you've given me life to enjoy. He wants you to live life to its fullest. Invite Jesus into your fun have him, let him be your friend. Embrace Jesus as your teacher. Learn from him. The phrase that says that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Please don't misunderstand what the passage is saying. It doesn't mean Jesus is sitting on the couch and she's, she's sitting on the living room floor. That's not necessarily, literally what it meant. This is a technical phrase to refer to students. What they would do in sitting underneath their teacher. You see, in those days, you did not apply to a university. You did not get a degree from a university. No, you applied to a rabbi. You got a degree from a rabbi. So you would put an application into a teacher, and if that teacher rabbi accepted you, then you could sit at their feet, learn and grow. This phrase is indicating that most likely, Mary received formal ministry training from Jesus. She was a student of Jesus. Are you? Not are you sitting under the teaching of David. Are you sitting under the teaching of Jesus? Let him teach you. Let him teach you. Embrace all of Jesus. Let him be your shepherd. Rest in him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Now, if your soul is not being restored, if, if on the other hand, there's always constant turmoil in your soul, all it means is that the first phrase in that psalm is not true. He really isn't your shepherd. Oh, he may be your savior, he may be your teacher, but he is not your shepherd. Let him be your shepherd. Let him be your healer. Let him bring peace to your life. 
Embrace Him as Creator, as King. Serve Him. He deserves to be obeyed. Serve Him. Do what He asks you to do. Embrace Him as a miracle worker. Trust Him. You know what's fascinating to me about this story? Is that they're desperately, Martha's desperately trying to make food. And just a couple chapters earlier, Jesus fed 5,000 people with a Lunchable. I just find that a little, little ironic. Because Martha, and Martha knows that story. She knows that story. She knows what's happened. She's getting Jesus' newsletters and updates about all he's doing. Jesus could, he could just sit on the couch. You know, if he really wanted a, a banquet, he could sit on the couch. He could fit into, into the couch and pull out the Cheetos that Lazarus left there last night when he was watching the movie. And boom, turn it into a banquet, if he wanted. But there's something in Martha that she's trying to live life and accomplish life on her own. Paul says in Philippians, I can do all things if I just work really hard. No, he doesn't say that. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Trust Him as your miracle worker. And finally, embrace Him as your Savior. Believe in Him. Believe in Him. In another gospel story, there's another conversation between Jesus and Martha. What's interesting is that the tone is almost the same. Martha is scolding Jesus again. It it, it reminds you of two things. One, she hasn't quite learned her lesson yet. But two, Jesus was to Martha more of a brother. That's the relationship they had. That's how close they were. And in this case, she's upset at Jesus because her brother died. And Jesus wasn't there. And she scolds him. And she says to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I know that even now God will give you what you ask. And you can just see her rolling her eyes even as tears are coming down and she's frustrated at Jesus. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I I know, I know. He will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, I I can give you all all kinds of suggestions on how to handle stress. I can give you little techniques, this, that, and the other. But ultimately, the most important thing for your life is Jesus. It's Jesus. And it starts by embracing him as your Savior. Start there. Always start there. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you've taught me this morning. I want to thank you for each and every one of us as we've looked at this story and passage, as we've reflected on our life, the challenges, the stress that we have, the anxiety, and you've, you've pointed out some reasons maybe why and pointed out some things that we can do. Father, I want, I want to thank you for both the Marys and the Marthas in this church and in this world. I want to thank you for what they both accomplish. But at the same time, if we're honest with ourselves, Father, I pray that we would be willing to admit that because we are good at certain things, it means that in certain other areas, maybe, maybe sometimes we drop the ball. I pray, Father, that we would realize that, acknowledge that. Father, I pray that we would have the maturity to eliminate emotions, behaviors, and attitudes that are not helpful, that are destructive to the situation, that makes matters worse. But Father, more than anything else, 
I pray that in the midst of a difficult and challenging times, we would embrace your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that he is a friend and a teacher, that he's a healer, that he's a shepherd. But Father, most importantly, I want to thank you that he's my Savior. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and no one's looking around, if you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I don't think I've ever put on his yoke. I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never intentionally said that from now on, wherever I go, he goes. If you want to do that, If you want to embrace him as your Savior, I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And this morning, as best as I know how, realizing that I don't know at all, I'm intentionally and willingly putting on the yoke that Jesus asks of me, knowing that that means that that he's not just my Savior from now on, he's my Lord. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to behave the way he wants me to behave. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you for the very first time prayed that prayer. I wonder if you could just slip up your hand. Just so I could know and pray for you. Anyone slip up your hand. Very good. One hand. Anyone else slip it up so I could see. Very good. Two hands. Anyone else. Father I want to thank you for the two in this service. And the five in first service that embraced your son Jesus. I want to pray that you would solidify in their minds and confirm in their hearts that you are now theirs. That irrespective of even mistakes that we will continue to make and they will make, that they are changed and transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit and they have a seat that has been reserved for them in eternity with you. Father, I want to thank you for the many others who have made that decision maybe many, many years ago. Father, remind us that we honor you as we obey you. As the rest of the world gets all stressed out in certain situations, we can glorify your name and we can point people to you just by how we handle stress. Doesn't mean that occasionally we won't lose it, but generally the way we live our lives is a way where people look at us and say there's something different. Father, I pray that you would help us do that. And I thank you once again how practical and how helpful your word is. I thank you for Jesus. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.